The revolution is here. A movement of people free to live, work, and choose. We won't tell you what to think. We just demand that you think for yourself. This is Kibbe on Liberty. Well, we should actually start with that since we're talking about low libido roosters. I think everyone wants to know what that's all about. But uh, <clears throat> Congressman, welcome back on the show. Thanks for having me back, Matt. And we were hanging out at, at a restaurant in D.C. that has since been closed down by the D.C. government called Big Board. And, and we're in the District of Columbia. They are mandating not only mask wearing by employees and, and people that go to restaurants, but now um, vaccine passports. You have to show your papers in order to get into a restaurant. And this one restaurant owner had the temerity to say, I'm not going to discriminate against anybody that comes to my restaurant. And he, he foolishly posted that on social media. So immediately the D.C. government came in and started like uh, writing him up for, for health violations. And then they took away his liquor license. And we just happened to be there the night that they actually just shut him down. Yeah, the, they had taken away his liquor license. So we were enjoying hard drinks of water. Yeah. But you could still get burgers and sliders. The, the only dry bar that I've ever been excited to be at. <laughs> and then they, they shut that down. You know, the owner had a great point. He said, look, if you want to make a law that everybody has to be vaccinated in order to go out to eat, and you want to send government employees to my restaurant to walk around to the tables and check their papers, okay, knock yourself out. But you're not going to conscript me into this. Like, his point was, I pay you money. I pay the government taxes. The government doesn't pay me or my employees to be enforcers of their rules. So they were trying to turn him into part of their Gestapo. Yeah. And he said, I, you don't even pay us to be part of your Gestapo. We're not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and <laughs> we um, um, having that conversation, by the way, Rand Paul was there and your team was there and Rand's team was there. And and it was just sort of a, an accident that we were there the night that they shut it down because we were just trying to support a restaurant that was courageous enough to care about fundamental civil liberties. Um, and now we have to drive, I guess we have to drive to Virginia to get a burger, which, which I think you're doing these days. Yes. I, <laughs> Every time you enter Mordor. So I've announced I, I won't even get takeout from the places that are complying here in D.C. with the vaccine mandate because compliance just invites more tyranny. Mm-hmm. The, the government will always reward your compliance with another level of tyranny. And so you should not comply. So even the ones where it would be possible for me to get food by getting takeout, I'm not going to get it from there. So we're getting takeout from Virginia, for instance, and bringing it back to D.C. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Capitol Hill Club, which is a big hangout for Republicans. Uh, I haven't been in there since they started complying. Not going to renew my membership. And uh, the reason I have time to join you on this podcast is I had a fundraiser scheduled this week. But this weekend, I announced on Twitter I would not be meeting with any uh, representatives or executives from companies that are enforcing the vaccine mandate. And my fundraiser was like, well, there just went the fundraiser this week. And I looked at the list and I'm like, yeah, I guess so. They're not real happy with me. But if uh, why would you reward somebody that's in? that is, you know, they may have the private right. Maybe companies do have the right to say, okay, if you want to work here, you got to get your logo. You got to get a McDonald's logo tattooed on your arm. Okay. Maybe they have that right to impose things like that, but it doesn't mean it's moral and I'm not compelled or required to meet with people who are immoral. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing we wanted to do today, and I, I see you have your, your napkin, your well-thought-out. Yes, I brought um, receipts. Yeah. <clears throat> receipts these down this for, morning. And, and, and it started, we were talking about this, um, um, how you very early on anticipated how this thing would, would morph and mutate and some of the unintended consequences and the damage. And, and you know, starting with, with vaccine passports, one of the things you said um, in September of last year was that the Biden administration knows that a, a vaccine ma- passport um, promulgated through OSHA is unconstitutional. They know that. And it's going to be unconstitutional. It's going to be deemed that way by the Supreme Court, which effectively has happened now. But that's not their game. Their game is they're, they're trying to bully and bluff Head and create uncertainty yeah. and, and force private businesses to do it anyway. And that's yeah. kind of where we're at. Private businesses abhor risk and, and surprises. Yeah. So if Biden says we're going to do this three months from now, they start preparing today. And they start asking people for their vaccine status. And they're like, well, why are you entitled to know my vaccine status? Well, we're going to have to comply with this. And, you know, even we just got to be prepared for the court to rule one way or the other. Yeah. And so they just started enforcing it. They got into the habit of it. Uh, presumably, they can't be sued for doing those sorts of things because at the time there was an order that hadn't been thrown out yet. So the, the, some of these companies that wanted to do it anyway were looking for the imprimatur of the federal government. And um, just like with the CDC eviction moratorium, that, that was promulgated during Trump. Yep. And that was his CDC director. And it was unconstitutional as hell. And I was one of the few Republicans that would call it out. And it, it went on for a long time. I'm not sure why it wasn't stayed immediately. But then it came to the Supreme Court in the summer. And we have one justice who said, well, it's about to end, so I'm not going to strike it down. We're better off with a light touch. Well, Biden took that as a sign that he could just renew it. And he said at the time, you know, the experts say it's unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court had said it's unconstitutional. He said, but it'll take him a while to work this back through the court, back up to the Supreme Court. So we're going to do it if, if we can make this unconstitutional thing last a few more weeks. Which he did. Yeah, and 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 you you predicted that as well. That at, um, specifically the CDC um, rule um, on rent, but generally speaking, a lot of decisions that Republicans in the Trump administration did just just sort of opening the door on unchecked executive power. Um, now we're now we're paying like a tremendous price for that because. Uh, Joe Biden was like, "Here, oh, okay, hold my beer, because yeah. I'm going to run the run the field now." He's got five different vaccine mandates. He found, I'm not even sure I can enumerate them now, but there's the military vaccine mandate, the CMS vaccine mandate, the OSHA vaccine mandate, the federal government employee vaccine mandate, and the contractor uh, vaccine mandate, with a wide definition of who might be a contractor for heaven's sakes don't sell a government employee a hamburger you yeah. might be a contractor yeah yeah and 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 now we're now we're dealing with that but let's go back i want i got to go back all the way to the original show and this was uh, march 25th 2020 and i'm assuming we probably recorded it on march 24th or something like that and and for people that don't remember this is um you know maybe a week into um, locking down the economy. Um, so nobody really knows 
much of what's going on. We don't we don't know much about the virus, but even then, um, you were able to predict some of the catastrophic unintended consequences. And and you described like we were talking about whether or not what is that was like a two trillion dollar mm-hmm. stimulus. Um, but which, Larry Kudlow came on TV and said it's really six trillion because we're going to give four hundred billion to the Fed and they can loan it out through BlackRock, uh, and there'll be uh, four trillion at a ten to one ratio. So it's really six trillion. <laughs> As if that was would convince me. You're, so we're going to clip that your Larry Kudlow impersonation <laughs> and put that out there, but. Like so, you so there was two things you said. Um, one is that it's really six trillion, and you had divided it by family, and and that the logic was if you know we're giving people twelve hundred dollar checks, and if you have a couple kids, you you might right. get up to three three thousand um, dollars. But if this was legislation that was designed to allocate money to Americans who are now prohibited from going to work. It should be more like 60, 60 grand per family. Yeah, 90. I don't remember the exact number, uh, but it was like 95% of that money was going somewhere else. Yeah. If you're getting $1,200 checks and we divide, you know, 350 million people into 2 trillion or 6 trillion, pick which number you want. Yeah. That should be a lot bigger check. Where's all that money going? And I said, this is the $1,200 checks are the cheese in the trap. And they, this is a, a socialist wish list. And it's going to wreck. It's the biggest wealth transfer from the to the middle class to the elite that we've ever seen in the history of mankind. Yeah. Just do the math, and yeah. you can figure this out, folks. And and Nancy Pelosi, or I don't, I don't think there was a single progressive Democrat that made that argument at the time. But it's it's uh, either funny or tragic to now point them pointing at. The divergence, you know, the rich have gotten richer. Like Jeff Bezos is a lot richer than he used to be, and and those those sort of you know big tech and and big corporations and and fat cats very much knew how to play the system when the government was dumping all of this money and expanding all this credit into the economy. So the because of big government, the rich got richer and the working class got screwed. Um, and now they're upset about it. Well, it was the cheese in the trap. Again, the $1,200 is the cheese in the trap. Uh, did anyone join you? Like, did any Democrats join you when you actually insisted that Nancy Pelosi hold a recorded vote on this monstrosity? Um, you know, there was a brief moment in time where people thought that AOC would, would be the person who stood up to it. And I would have gladly let her do it. I did not want to be the most hated person in Washington, D.C. I mean, literally, you're, this studio is one of the few places I could go to on that day where you interviewed me. It's a me. safe space here. Yeah. <laughs> Putting you know, like a, a hood over my head and running around the town to get from one place to the next without getting mobbed. But uh, she ultimately did not uh, object, and so I had to do it. But she, I think even, I, you know, I think a principled Democrat would have seen through this yeah. if they were just studying what was going on and made many of the same points about the corporatocracy that was going to ensue. Yeah. So the other thing you said was, and you made this prediction in that very first show, that you can't, even even if the bill was well-structured and the money was going to people, you can't stimulate the economy 
if the economy is locked down. Right. And you, you predicted this, and, and, and the receipts are in now. You're just going to have more dollars, this is your quote, more dollars chasing fewer goods um, because we can't produce. Did I say that? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It sounds like something I would say, but it's timeless. It's always true. Right. If you restrict production and increase the money supply, you're going to have more dollars chasing fewer goods. You're going to have one of two things, probably both, shortages and increase in prices. Yeah. And and we've seen not just shortages in the supermarket, but at the chip fabrication places. Like it's worldwide. It's everywhere because most of the governments did something like the United States did, which is to pay people not to work, yeah. to pay businesses, to pay their employees when the businesses got shut down. And the incentives were all messed up. Uh, you know, my, my favorite governor is Ron DeSantis. But if you go back and look, even he shut down Florida there for a little bit a few days after this bill passed because we put them in a in a in a dilemma like the government the incentives were all misaligned i had a, a friend who runs a business very successful business he said my business friends and i are looking at this money and we're wondering you know we don't need it but we're wondering why we wouldn't take it yeah. and so we're going to take it like when you have like people whose net worth is over 200 million dollars you know, calling me up saying, I don't need this money, but you're giving it to me. And I'd be stupid not to take it. So I'm going to take it. Yeah. Um, then, you know, it's messed up. But we incentivized. It was a moral hazard, they call it. We, we basically uh, bribed the governors into shutting down their economies. And all, all of them complied. Ron DeSantis was the quickest one to see through all of it. And he banned Fauci and Burks from coming to the state of Florida. <laughs> Which is a brilliant move because while Trump was president, you had these two bureaucrats going around giving the imprimatur of the federal government to all the state health agencies. So now if you get in a legal battle about a shutdown, they, they can produce this as evidence. Well, the, the federal government was here and told our health experts, our health policy experts, that this was the right thing to do. So you can't sue us for destroying your livelihood. Yeah. Yeah, it's it it creates uh, and you you predicted this uh, that um, one of the things that would happen is you're incentivizing states to behave badly, and later on after um, I I believe one of the first things that Joe Biden did was bail out the states and explicitly, so so states like California, New York, states that had really been draconian in their reactions, um, didn't didn't really pay a price for that because the money kept flowing from D.C. There was a constitutional argument uh, that some of my conservative colleagues made to me, which is the Fifth Amendment requires you to reimburse somebody if you've taken something from them. And, uh, you know, it's basically eminent domain. Yeah. Uh, and because we were taking away the livelihoods of people, some of my conservative friends in Congress argued that we owed it to them to pay them. It's um, on the surface, it could be a compelling argument. But what you realize is it was the governors who were taking things away mm -hmm. and the federal government was going to reimburse. So the input's not connected to the output. There's yeah. no incentive for us to quit giving or for them to quit shutting down. Uh, so it just perpetuates it. You're now incentivizing this immoral uh, behavior. Uh, so I was against that. By the way, uh, you mentioned we, we were here on March 24th or March 25th. 
the that was about seven days, maybe ten days into the fifteen days mm -hmm. of slowing the spread. There were a few like aha moments for me where I saw clarity a, few, a couple years ago in all of this, and one was in the fifteen days to slow the spread. I sat down. I got up at like 5 a.m. My wife, who also went to MIT, was not awake yet. So my math didn't get checked until 7 a.m. But I, you know, just very much like on this napkin here, I sat down at the breakfast table and I calculated what effect 15 days would have on slowing the spread. It was virtually no effect. It would just prolong the the thing. And if you if your goal was to slow the spread, I did some math. Based on the data we had, which was very sparse, you know, it was based on cruise ships and things like that. Yeah. And I was, and I, I told my staff, and after I had my wife ch check the math, she woke up, and I'm like, "Tell me if this is right." And she says, "That's right." It was. I was like, "This is going to be months if you wanted to affect the slow of this, the, the spread of this virus. If you want to slow it down, it's not 15 days. It's months." Yeah. Yeah. And they are lying to us that 15 days will do anything. Like, what do you do on the 16th day? After you've hit pause and you hit resume, it all starts back up. Yeah. If any of it worked to start with, which it didn't. So either on the uh, March 25th, or we, we did, um, I called it an emergency show on March 30th. Um, on one of those shows, you also pointed mm -hmm. out, which was also obvious at the time, even the Imperial College model said, and, and you said this, I think, before we even knew what the Imperial College model was, that if you flatten the curve, you're pushing out the pandemic. Right. The and, area under the curve stays the same. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it may actually, like the area under the curve, um, I'm not sure that, that it does stay the same. Like I feel like a lot that we've <laughs> right. done over time yeah. has, uh, you know, with the, with the mutations Yeah, you give the virus, the virus more chances to, to yeah. be different things. You can go into the animal population and do different things and then come back. And meanwhile, we don't have natural immunity. By the way, every curve they showed that goes up and then goes back down. Remember the bell curve? Mm -hmm. The reason every one of those curves goes down is natural immunity. Okay, they were simultaneously showing us a model for the spread of a virus. Uh, let's see, I think it's a SIR curve. It's a differential equation, which I can do differential equations. I can model this stuff. And th these are variables that are dependent on the, the variables in the equation. And the reason that curve looks like that is natural immunity kicks in. And people, you know, the, the percent of the population that's subject to get infected goes down. So the spread slows down. So they were simultaneously saying natural immunity is not a thing while saying this is the curve that models the spread and, and the decrease in spread of a virus that we're going to flatten. Yeah, yeah. But and I was surprised, and, and a year later in September of 2021, we did a whole show on natural immunity before it was allowed by our tech overlords. And, and for some reason, maybe the memo had come down. That show didn't get banned. It didn't get shadow banned. I don't know why exactly, but um, we now know that um, even the so-called experts are acknowledging that natural immunity is not only a thing, but it's an essential thing to getting us out of this. Yeah, and I said it was the SIR uh, differential equation stands for susceptible. You have three buckets of people. In the beginning, everybody's susceptible. 
And then you have two buckets, susceptible and infected. There's the S and the I. And then you have the R bucket, which is recovered, mm -hmm. which are not susceptible. And so anyways, that's the model if people want to look it up. It, it was the same before COVID. It's the same now. It's going to be the same afterwards. Yeah, yeah. The um, Another thing that, um, and I don't remember which episode this was, but this was in 2020, probably in March, um, you were talking about some of the unintended consequences of, of locking down restaurants and fast food restaurants um, and truck stops. And, and this was in the context of a broader conversation we're having about um, these bureaucrats don't have any idea of how food gets from a farm right. to, to that poor guy that has to deliver it to your front door while you're sheltering in place for over two years because you're a member of the laptop class. Yes. Um, we didn't we didn't come up with that word yet, but that's now like a, a real thing. And and one important piece of that is truck drivers who use a network of fast food restaurants and truck stops um, to to go to the bathroom and get food and 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 rest up and all the things that they do. Um, the bureaucrats didn't anticipate that. No. And I, I had another one of these points of clarity during during the everything being slowed down or shut down. I went and got tires for my truck because we're going to need tires, right, in this post-shutdown world. And In the zombie apocalypse, uh, you should have good tires. Yeah, make sure your tires are aired up, too. So I'm, I look across the street while they're putting tires on my truck, and I see a guy. He may have been homeless. I don't know. He's trying to get into the Arby's, and the door's locked, and he doesn't have a TV, where, you know, he doesn't know that everything's being shut down, doesn't know why it's all being shut down. But all he knows is this bathroom he's used every morning probably for the last year. He can't get into it. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's going to really slow the spread. Now this guy's going to go defecate uh, in an alley somewhere in, in this city instead of using that bathroom. How have, like... I think even the Romans, didn't they come up with sewers and whatnot? Like uh, Pompeii, I saw some of this infrastructure that they had uncovered from the ashes that even they knew that like diseases spread this way and that shutting down your restrooms is probably not a good idea and encouraging people to just, you know, defecate wherever. Yeah. Uh, during, especially during a pandemic. By the way, we've, we've forgotten what we knew 10,000 years ago. Yeah. It's all been forgotten. And, 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 and the, the way you said it at the time was this isn't about um, the economy versus keeping people healthy. This isn't about uh, wealth versus health. This is health versus health is the way you characterized it. Yeah, we, we had a conference call with Dr. Fauci. I believe it was in April, the GOP. And uh, Tom McClintock from California and I keyed in on a couple points. Tom asked Dr. Fauci, uh, so what about whole health? Like, there's going to be an economic depression from these uh, shutdowns. And one of the things that correlates with lifespan is your, is your wealth. I mean, it's no secret that the poorer people don't live as long. Okay? He didn't say that, but I, I'm— saying that i mean we know that these things correlate and you're going to make people poor yeah uh you know maybe not in terms of dollars maybe the dollars goes up because you're giving them money but their quality the standard of living is going to go down how do you take into account things like cancer screenings and diabetes treatments and and uh you know treatment for infections and things like that that are going missed and not happening 
Cardiovascular disease is something you brought up um, in on March 25th because you had talked to to some doctor friend who yeah. said, you know, my um, my patients aren't coming in anymore. Yeah, and the pharmacists. I have friends who are pharmacists. And I was like, well, your business must be great during this pandemic. They said, actually, people aren't going to the doctor and they're not getting their prescriptions refilled. And they're, the things that they were taking to improve their health are not being taken. And by the way, they, they uh, have doctor friends. All pharmacists know doctors, right? They're trying to read their writing every day, <laughs> which is almost impossible to do. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell Senator Paul I made fun of his doctor's writing. Anyways, he's left-handed to boot. So <laughs> now nah, don't don't go after lefties because <laughs> okay. we're the best. Okay, well they they told me that they had a doctor that treats um, infections and whatnot, and that his amputations were up because people would get infected, and by the time they went to see a doctor, because they had been convinced this was Ebola. If you went out, you were going to die. Yeah. So they stayed home until the last possible minute, which means by the time they got to the doctor, okay, we've got to take two of your toes off yep. or part of your foot off because you didn't get here soon enough. How much, I mean, that was going on in the summer already yeah. because of this. Anyways, so the phone call with Fauci, he, he, his answer was, well, I'm just focused on this, this one virus. We're just focused on this. Like, like, holy cow, this is the guy in charge of the response? Yeah. And he only cares about one, uh, one dimension of health for people? And then my question to Dr. Fauci was, I wanted to be fair, but, and I'd done the math, and, I, and we, by the way, at this point, I think the conference call happened after the 15 days had expired. And I said, I know you can't give us a date, like, it's impossible to predict a date for when the lockdowns end. But what are the metrics? Like, what are the things you're looking for at which point you will recommend not locking down or, or you know, damping our economy, dampening our economy? And uh, he had no, he was basically, we're going to play it by ear, which was, is a terrifying answer. Yeah. Because they played it by ear when they shut it down. And we were just like, they had no metrics when they shut it down for opening it back up. I said, if you, before you get in a car with somebody you don't know, you should at least ask them where you're going and how long it takes to get there. Yeah. And everybody's getting in the clown car of Dr. Fauci driving. And he's not telling you where he's taking you. Yeah. And that, so that was basically my question. And he had no answer to that. So after that phone call, I was like, oh, man, we're in trouble. That's like one of the, um, I feel like on one of the shows, you've, you've made fun of all the Austrian economists that, that, that I love to quote. But, you know, one of the Austrian critiques of central planning is the, the chaos created by that guy, in this case, Fauci. Like Fauci had um, so much de facto power in this whole thing. And he didn't even have a plan. He's just throwing stuff against the wall to see if it sticks. And let's try two weeks. We, we just compiled uh, a, a somewhat hysterical video of every time some government bureaucrat said just two more weeks yeah and it, it goes on for years obviously but um the the problem with um that sort of scientistic arrogance that fauci had was that he doesn't know nearly as much as he says he does and he couldn't it's impossible even if he was i don't i i'm not impressed with his science personally but even if he was the smartest scientist in the world he couldn't possibly know enough 
to anticipate the consequences of locking down the economy. And I think I think that's the that was that basic framework allowed for us to say, wow, this isn't going to turn out well mm-hmm. if you lock down the economy. We don't know exactly how it's going to manifest itself, but that's the point. They don't know. While we're talking about Fauci's interpretation of science, because he is the science, right? Yeah. What's remarkable is the science has flip-flopped so many times on this. But And I, and you and I dedicate a whole, not a whole show, but a large portion of the show to masks mm-hmm. and how they had flip-flopped on this. And in the beginning, uh, if you remember in March when I was forcing Congress to come to work to vote, and uh, by the way, don't let me forget to talk about mail-in ballots. Uh, but uh, in the beginning... Fauci was saying masks don't work. So nobody in Congress wore a mask. And uh, Pelosi's accusing me, you know, people are going to die. She called me a dangerous nuisance. But then later she builds a plexiglass box in front of our ventilation system in Congress with no roof on it so that, like, the virus can spread everywhere. But uh, they eventually came around to saying you have to wear a mask. And I was conflicted as to whether to comply at all with that. But it wasn't going to be possible for me to at the time to speak or vote without a mask on. So I had a mask in the car and I got out a Sharpie and I wrote N95 on it. It's the, you know, of the masks that are available to us and wearable mm-hmm. in public, it's the only one that possibly has a chance. It has to be fitted. You can't be taking it off and laying it down and fiddling around with it and then putting it back on. You know, once you take it off and open it up, you get it out of that box. You got to assume it's contaminated, blah, blah, blah. They get wet. They get saturated. Anyways, but I wore an N95 mask and I wrote on a sharp with a Sharpie N95 and I came out of Congress and they're like interviewing me and I'm standing there with the N95 on my mask trying to tell the public, okay, if you're going to go along with this, wear one that could possibly have a chance of working. Uh but so, he went. They went from, and I don't want to dwell on this because we have a whole show and people should go look for that. But they went from masks do not work, don't use them, to cloth masks will work. Mm-hmm. These were the noble lies, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're and then you and I did a show saying they're eventually going to have to recognize that cloth masks don't work. And then a month or two later, or maybe three months later, they came around and they started acknowledging. That if you're going to wear a mask and it has any chance of working, it's got to be at N95 or better. You've probably seen these pictures on the internet. Uh, fast forward to today, the Biden administration decided that everyone has to have an N95 mask, and they bought up the supply. <laughs> I would assume that if I wanted to go acquire one, it would be more difficult because the federal government spent I don't know how much money doing this, and they're dumped in baskets in stores, not wrapped, and they're like, take three. Yes. So, you know, you know, maybe uh, people have been sending me those pictures and I put it on Twitter. There's a federal government sign that says take three and there's a pallet of of them boxed up and there's 20 in a box. Okay, so maybe you want to blame the clerk at the grocery store, the stock boy for for dumping them out. But how else are people going to get three masks when they're packaged as 20? Right, right. And it's like it's the most unsanitary thing you ever saw. The masks are laying out there in the open in bins that are meant for, like, reject CD-ROMs yeah. that you would normally, like, shuffle through. Oh, you know, there's Top Gun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but but this, this is government in practice. Like, whatever your pretensions are, like, oh, everyone should have an N95 mask. Um, 
there's there's a question of not only knowledge but but basic competence to to just they they did the same thing they did with uh, all that funny money that they gave the Federal Reserve. They just helicoptered, dropped it onto the economy, and like if you can find it, that's great. But uh, patient zero probably pawed it before you got into your hot hands. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I wanted to tab, I tabbed and I wanted to go back to mail-in ballots. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so in that time frame in March, I call it the singularity when everybody hated me in, in Washington, D.C., uh, for making them come to work, right? And the blood would be on my hands and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, like 0.0001% of the population had been infected by this. And just eight weeks before, Nancy Pelosi was going through Chinatown and with encouraging everybody to come out and shop because this virus, there was no big deal. And then eight weeks later, she's calling me a dangerous nuisance and people are going to get killed. Here's what I, I didn't realize it at first, but in the course of making people come to vote, I realized they're going to do mail-in ballots in all 50 states. And this is setting the pretext for that. The fact that Congress, you've got 434, not me, 434 members of the House who are saying it's too dangerous to vote in person. Okay, if it's, we've got, we're provided good health care, we're provided, you know, guards and security when we're here. If you want, you can fly first class, uh, you know, and there's a doctor in the basement of the Capitol who will take care of you specifically if anything happens. And yet, my colleagues are all arguing it was too dangerous for us to show up to work and for us to show up to vote. So the first hypocrisy you already hit on, it's too dangerous for us to work. Right. Well, the truckers are working and the nurses are working and the grocery store clerks are working. So wh how, why are you arguing it's too dangerous for us to work? But the second part of that was it's too dangerous for us to vote in person, okay, which has been, uh, you know, any... Uh, if we're going to legitimize third world countries' elections, we say you got to show up in person and get some ink on your finger so we know that you don't show up more than once, right? Right. You got to. You may be able to cheat, but you got to have one warm body for every vote, or a good way of washing, you know, iodine or whatever it is off your finger. Uh, so that was the pretext, and then every all fifty states. This is where I think they kind of got Trump in checkmate. They had him mad at me and arguing to everybody to just go along and pass this with nobody there. And that, if everybody sees that on TV, then how do you go back to your state and say, we're going to make you show up to vote even though Congress didn't show up to vote? And in mail-in ballots, you, you don't have to believe in conspiracy theories or coincidence theories. <laughs> if you're not a conspiracy theorist, there's only other one choice to your coincidence theorist. But you don't have to uh, know that machines were rigged to believe that the election was swayed uh, by gamesmanship using mail-in ballots. And because uh, that's the oldest way to game an election is absentee ballots. Uh, but Congress set the pretext of that when they said it's too dangerous to show up and vote. I thought about the, the irony of uh, speaking of, of voting and and I vote in the District of Columbia, which is perhaps a ultimately irrational act for me to stand in line and do that. But I don't. I don't have to show my ID, and I've actually, um, I've actually gone to vote in the District of Columbia, where I see my name on their paper list, and I'm like, that's me. I don't even say my name. 
they don't ask for ID, I go in and vote. Um, because we were told that, that showing ID to vote was, was racist and, and, and anti-voting and all that, but I do have to show my ID and my vaccination papers in order to go to a restaurant in to D.C. To buy food. Yeah. And I'm like, they, they, don't see the, they don't see the contradiction, do they? Uh, they just ignore it. Or the perhaps, they, perhaps they don't care because they have different agendas that have nothing to do with whether or not you should use your ID. It's, it's about control. I've always made this point in the context of guns that they, you know, the, the liberal, the left requires, wants to require you to pay money to get certified to uh, buy a firearm and to have a photo ID and all this other stuff in, in a lot of states, yet they turn around and say that all of those things are, are racist and impediments to exercising um, your right to vote. But how is that not the same for the Second Amendment? Yeah. Here's, here's a good one. Let's talk about schools. Um, because you um, pointed out in March of 2020 that shutting down schools, which had already started happening, was a particularly cruel thing to do to working parents who depended, uh, and he said maybe this is 30% of, of my community, depended on schools as, amongst other things, a form of daycare so that they could keep working. And these, these would have been the essential workers that were making sure that the laptop class was, was fed while hiding in their homes. Um, could you have imagined then that we're still fighting about whether or not to open schools and that whether or not we should um, force um, three-year-olds to wear masks? Like, it, it's, it's insane now. They're still doing it in Kentucky. They're still forcing kids to wear masks in a lot of the schools. I had a woman contact me through Twitter. I probably shouldn't announce this, but you can direct message me on Twitter if I follow you. And there's like, I follow like 6,000 people. And and one of them worked you, at a... You, you, you're going to get 6,000 messages the moment this airs. <laughs> right. Uh, one of them uh, was worked at a Pepsi-Cola bottling plant. Now, uh, they bottle a lot of things, water, corn syrup, juice. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's a single mom. She had to lock her 13-year-old child uh, in their apartment because she couldn't go to school and then go to work. And she confided in me. She felt guilty because one day at work she worried whether her child was going to eat all the food that she had been able to procure because there were shortages at the time and we didn't know if there would be more food available. And she said, I felt so guilty. I'm at work and I'm wondering not... You know, of all the bad things that could happen to my child, I'm wondering, is my child eating all of our food? Yeah. I mean, and I was thinking about that. You know, $1,200 does not fix her problem. Does not fix her problem. And, uh, and, and the kid is not learning. By the way, in rural Kentucky, the Internet sucks, okay? We can't get it, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and you have also broken families and kids who are living with their grandparents, so you had like grandparents driving the grandpa driving the kid who's supposed to be distance learning, has some laptop, may not be configured right. He drives her to the, the McDonald's and they sit in the parking lot. She drives, tries to do her homework with grandpa in the cab of the truck. 
using the Wi-Fi at McDonald's, which is not the best either. Because, by the way, a lot of other people, this is their only option. Yeah. Uh, and that's because she has a grandpa that cares. Like, I mean, my goodness, this, the, these have been the victims. Uh, the children have been the, the biggest victims of this. The imagine there's a movie and aliens come to the planet and they infect us with a virus and we're trying to figure out how to defeat the aliens. The the heroine of this movie would discover that children are immune for the mo, you know, thousand to one ratio of risk. And by aliens you mean a lab in Wuhan, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Don't be xenophobic. Uh <laughs> Uh, did, did planet did, Wuhan. Maybe Let's we, say yeah. it's Planet Wuhan. Planet Wuhan. And and we have somebody from Planet Wuhan that uh, has been cooperating with somebody in our government to develop this uh, virus. And then that person in our government is going to pretend to save us. But what we really know is the children are, you know, uh, immune to not not completely immune, but it's going to be like a cold for most of them and certainly no worse than the flu on average. We would exploit that to defeat the alien virus, right? We'd have we'd have kids doing things, you know. We'd lower. I don't mean, get in trouble for child labor, right? <laughs> but we'd be hiring sixteen-year-olds to work in nursing homes, you know, and take care of people that are at risk. Once the sixteen-year-old had recovered, because they got it at school, because we didn't shut down the schools, because we knew it wasn't going to hurt them, and that they weren't really going to be vectors of spread to the teachers and by the way the teachers are going to get it eventually ever like so that but it's been really discouraging we've robbed these children because some boomers thought they could escape this virus by locking up our kids and denying them opportunities to interact socially and then when they could interact socially denying them the opportunity to recognize facial gestures and even see their teachers the boomers thought they could squeeze a little more life of their life out of s- repressing these children. Yeah, that's the, that is probably the biggest crime that's happened. I, I know moms who are are scared to death and they're masking their children because they've been told that they they have to do this to keep them safe. But but clearly the political class, if they ever did believe it, don't believe it anymore. And maybe you've seen this picture of Stacey Abrams smiling in a classroom full of. Uh, Yes. Two and three year olds all masked. Um, I don't think it's about safety anymore. I think it's about something else. I think I think maybe it's about about submission to the political class and, and maybe that's what'll get this episode banned. But it's 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 so infuriating that people put up with this. And and um, they're starting to push back. But they say you know, they say children are resilient. No, children have no choice right yeah it's pretty resilient and dad threw me in the back seat and smoke a cigarette and we we're going to go to grandma's house like i don't have a choice saying dad can you not smoke right right, right. <laughs> like children are resilient they have to put up with whatever the adults want to do and we this has been the cruelest to the children yeah uh, it's it's already showing up at colleges uh with the you know they're People are showing up to class freshman year, and they're just not prepared to do the work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so we have, we have to wrap up, and there's so many more receipts. Can um, we do? Can we do a wrap like a yeah, a rap, rapid fire? And then I want to sort of assess, mm-hmm. like you know, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, some of your most fierce critics 
are now coming around to this idea that natural immunity is a thing. And, and I feel like we should give a shout out to Ted Lou, who is acknowledging two years later that you were right all along. Yes, with natural immunity. Yeah. All right, rapid fire. I was right about the Prime Act. In 2015, I introduced a bill. I said our supply chain for uh, beef and pork is brittle. Four companies control it. The farmers are getting squeezed. And COVID hit. We had shortages. We're still, you still see occasional shortages. Yeah. Um, and my bill would have made it easier for farmers to get to market without relying on one of these big four corporations to process the meat. And I, I've got Democrats as co-sponsors on this bill. And uh, if, we, if that had passed in 2015, the, the supply chains could have reconnected in different ways. And um, they have to some degree. There's some bootleg you know, brisket out there. Yeah. <laughs> but Which is the best brisket, by the, the way. best brisket's bootleg brisket. Anyways, so right about that. Um, and by, by the way, we, we can go as long as we want, but uh, I don't want to keep you too long. But to, to point out to your earlier point, um, all of the problems with um, um, sort of shutting down supply and production and the, and the brittle nature of the production of meat combined with funny money, the, the net effect for, for families today is that hamburger and chicken is really expensive. Very expensive. And, and by the way, the big factories were more prone. Some of the worst outbreaks of COVID in the beginning were in the meat processing plants. Yeah. Because for some reason, either it's the temperature and the humidity or the proximity, or maybe the fact that a lot of these workers uh, live close together when they're not working. Like we can't say that it was spread at the job site, but um, the big factories, you know, some of them exploit immigrant labor that's not legal. Okay, the the small processors didn't have this problem. They may have 10 employees that come to work, go home, live in a house, mm -hmm. you know, with their family. Um, so in case, Prime Act was right on that, still right on that, need to pass that. At least COVID doubled my co-sponsors for that bill. Yeah. Uh, military vax mandate. Uh, people are like, oh, you're a little bit late. But this is H.R. 3860. I introduced this back when Joe Biden was saying he wouldn't do a mandate. Back when Jen Psaki was saying it wasn't really in our power. Uh, so I was ahead of the curve. I had people in the military telling me, saying, we're getting word that when this thing gets FDA approved that they're going to flip a switch and we're all going to be mandated. And so I introduced that bill. We've got 58 co-sponsors on that. Introduced it in June. That should have passed. Look, the, the folks at biggest risk of myocarditis are the ones that comprise the, the biggest demographic in our military, which is males age 18 to 24. And uh, they... A lot of them, by the time this vaccine came out, had and by the way, they're essentially like athletes. The the amount of, of physical activity they do, which, which a lot is, of them, yeah, are double like, a risk. Yeah, like the soccer players. Yeah, yeah, just like that. Um, so, uh, and a lot of them already had COVID. There's no reason to put them at, at an, in another risk, a new risk of myocarditis. I don't even think Putin, like, would do this. Like, imagine taking every pilot. Who, who can fly a, a you know a, a thirty million dollar plane? Every trained pilot and, and giving them all exactly the same mRNA, like and one and being cert, or being not concerned that in three or four years this might cause some problems for every pilot. 
I'm, I'm hoping our military has some placebos yeah. like in those vaccines. Yeah. yeah. But um, so I was right on the military vax mandate, uh, introduced that long ago. Emergency powers. I've always been against the presidential use of emergency powers. Congress, I guess, constitutionally, they can give some of their power to the president. The problem is they always take as much as you will allow them and they abuse it. So, for instance, I'm getting hit in my reelection because when Trump, after three years of trying to get the wall funded and Paul Ryan stood him up, and by the way, I voted for the wall to be funded, but Paul Ryan stood him up, then he lost the majority in Congress. Three years into it, he declares an emergency. It's not an emergency. That, that clause was not intended for when the president disagrees with Congress. It was intended for when Congress can't congregate and something's got to be done. And so I've, I voted against the president using emergency authority to reappropriate money because that wasn't the intent of the law, even if the law is constitutional. And now you have, oh, and then they use the administrate the various functions of the administration like OSHA and CMS and, uh, you know, and the CDC, they, they use those as foot soldiers for their, to enforce their emergency powers. So I was always against that. I've gotten trouble on that. Uh, I've always been against getting rid of the filibuster to spend, you know, if it's, the only thing that stands between spending more money or passing a new regulation. I'm okay with appointments, um, reducing that because th there aren't any more, you're not growing the size of government if an appointment happens or doesn't happen. Yeah. The bureaucracy goes on. But uh, most of the Freedom Caucus, I'm pretty sure you could go back and find when Trump was president and uh, we were in the majority, and we're passing stuff in the House and the Senate's not passing it. Most of the Freedom Caucus, in fact, maybe most of the GOP House members were arguing that we should get rid of the filibuster. And I was saying, no, no, no. And they would say, well, why are you against that? Are you afraid that the Democrats will use it when they get in power? And he said, no, I'm afraid of what Republicans will do right. if, if the limit is threat 50 there's, or 51. There's nothing conservative about lowering the threshold to spend money or pass new onerous laws. So, and, and by the way, the real test for whether or not a member of Congress is 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 uh, defending the Constitution as they're sworn to do is when it's uncomfortable because your yeah. guy is doing it, right? Yes. And and most members of Congress just fail that test. But it is also true that that weaponized the Biden administration and. And, you know, the, the, the gap in the constitutional limits on his power um, was wider, and he's just running with it. He, the, the CDC eviction moratorium promulgated under Trump was the prototype for the, the CMS mandate, the OSHA mandate, vaccine mandate. It's, it basically cut copy-paste by Biden of, of what President Trump did. Yeah. And so, all right, that's most of my receipts. The biggest thing, I think, is... Uh, that I hope people remember is I'm the guy that stood up on March 27th of 2020 and said that if you pay people not to work, if you print $2 trillion, you're going to get inflation and shortages. And uh, a lot of Republicans now are running in the midterms saying that Joe Biden did this. They were complicit. They, it started under Trump, 2 to $3 trillion of the 6 to $7 trillion that was spent in the name of COVID 
went out with without them saying a word with a lot I mean there are some people who did protest but not many and in order to fix it we have to acknowledge what we screwed up and agree let's not do that again get rid of the base the income the basic minimum income you know quit paying people not to work quit paying businesses to shut down and keep paying their employees uh, quit incentivizing governors to do this stuff. Quit sending around he health experts, bureaucrats, so-called experts, giving the imprimatur of the federal government to all the state authorities to shut this stuff down. Just quit doing it. Get back to normal, not a new normal. Okay, thanks. And then natural immunity, which you which you mentioned. Sorry, there's a long list. I got a lot of receipts. Well, let's uh, let's just keep going on natural immunity. Yeah, we'll close it there. Yeah, My guy's like, we got to stop immunity. this. But okay, but. Um, this is, I mean, I, we, we were legitimately concerned, even though the science is quite clear that natural immunity is an important thing, we were afraid that we were going to get canceled for saying so. But now... people had been canceled yeah. for saying that natural immunity was real. Yeah, your show with Tom Woods got, got canceled. That's right. Yeah. And I was like, you're going <laughs> to you ruin my show, too. You were trying. We tried, because we went yeah. even further. But, but apparently the machine has caught up with us. They now acknowledge natural immunity. Uh, after about the umpteenth member of Congress issued their statement, it's almost like a hostage, you know, statement they're forced to read. Yeah, I was, I had two shots and I was fully boosted and I got COVID and I, I'm not suffering too much. So thank God for the vaccine. Right. <laughs> uh, like they all issued some form of that. Yeah. And um, after literally everybody that got vaccinated and boosted I had to issue that statement. They're starting to recognize natural immunity. And by the way, my natural immunity lasted two years. And then I got uh, COVID a few weeks ago. And um, it, I thought it was an allergy attack, like I was similar to when I cut hay on my farm. So I took a Claritin. Yeah. And it, and it helped a lot. Um, I'm not saying you should take Claritin to cure COVID. Uh, by the way, now to use Claritin on horses, because... <laughs> Oh, let's don't even go there. There's a whole. <laughs> By the way, the the CEO of Pfizer is a veterinarian. I would I, I want to repeat that as many times as I can on everybody's show. So isn't it somewhat ironic that the guy who got his degree in treating animals, livestock, is is the one uh, who's prescribing everything for, for humans at this point, and then humans are being made fun of for taking a medicine that works on cattle, horses, and humans for a variety of things, anyways. So do you, well, final prediction, do you think, um, I, you know, we, we already mentioned Ted Lieu and, and I'm seeing a number of Democrats sort of acknowledge natural immunity and, and even acknowledging that um, vaccines won't at all prevent you from getting sick. Um, are, are the Democrats in particular, but Republicans as well, I mean, we have Republican governors who have been pretty awful on this. Are they going to back down in practical recognition that they're going to just get clobbered in the, in the midterms if they don't? I wonder if it's going to take the drubbing, the shellacking that they're all going to take here in the midterms for them to relent. I mean, they have a choice right now. They can start to, to cauterize you know, this, this bleeding that's going to happen in November. Yeah. Uh, because they've lot of lost, uh, lost a lot of the demographics that normally support Democrats. Uh, or they could go the other way and they could try to prolong this 
and as the impetus for mail-in ballots again mm-hmm. and hope to use mail-in ballots um, to, to sort of stem the, the suffering that they're going to take in the midterms. I don't know what they're going to do, but it, it does seem it does seem to me that they're coming around. Uh, like with Ted Lieu ad- admitting that natural immunity has to be part of the equation when we start looking at when to open things back up. Uh, I've noticed the CDC has come around to admitting that natural immunity is not a right-wing conspiracy, that it's a fact since the beginning, uh, since for 10,000 years of observational science, natural immunity has been a thing and it's still a thing. It didn't go away. Uh, they're acknowledging that the masks, like, N95s, if you have a chance of anything working, it's got to be that. There's the study out of Johns Hopkins by economists there that says that the lockdowns really were more hurtful than helpful. And people are not getting canceled for sharing that. Like, that's the first step mm-hmm. that you, we can. This show's probably not going to get canceled, uh, unlike some of the other shows <laughs> I've done. Uh, and I, I think it'll come around. But we got to. There needs to be something like the Nuremberg trials when this is all over. You don't get a free pass for subjugating children like this. You don't get a free pass for doing science projects in China that led to a worldwide epidemic. You you just don't get a free pass for ruining our economy. All the governors, all the bureaucrats, everybody who had a hand in this, who didn't wake up quickly. I mean. I understand in the beginning, it seemed like it could be Ebola, you know, but much more viral. And everybody gets a pass until those first 15 days were over. Yeah. If you weren't, if you didn't wake up after those 15 days, then you don't really get a pass. Accountability and Thomas Massey has receipts. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Matt.